Welcome to the Resilient Life Hacks podcast with host Elizabeth Myers, broadcasting live every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern on YouTube and Facebook. Tune in weekly to learn how to have a winning life by building a strong spirit, soul, and body. Good afternoon, friends. Welcome to another episode of the Resilient Life Hacks podcast. I'm your host, Liz Myers, and I'm so excited today to have Tom O'Toole here with us. He's first on our podcast. He's our first uh, children's book author. He's the author of The Crabapple Tree, which is an inspiring story that helps people live an authentic life. To It, it really speaks about resilience through, through a great metaphor. And um, so we're so happy to have you on here today, Tom. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Elizabeth. I am so glad to be here today. Yeah, it's great to have you. So tell us a little bit more about your book and how you came to write it, why a children's book versus an adult book, or just whatever you want to share with us about that. Sure. So a couple of years ago, let's see, actually 2017, I had just moved into a neighborhood in Boston called Roslindale. And there's a really large park in Boston called the Arnold Arboretum, and it spans different neighborhoods, but it's this beautiful park just very meticulously landscaped and managed by Harvard University. Trees from all over the world are living and growing there. It's a beautiful park. And in the section of Boston I just moved to, there was a a border of the park called Peter's Hill. And so I was new to the neighborhood and I said, I want to walk to Peter's Hill. It was July. I remember it being a warm, beautiful day. And I was walking to Peter's Hill in the Arnold Arboretum. And I just, sometimes I have these senses, impressions where I feel like God is trying to communicate with me. And I had this impression where I felt like God was saying, I want you to write a story about a fruit tree. And immediately while I was walking, I had memories of of my childhood when my family moved into our first home that my parents purchased. And I will back up a little bit. I had, when I was four years old, I had a brother who died. He was two, I was four. I had one other sister who was older and that was an extremely traumatic thing for my family to experience. It was incredibly dark time. And my parents were very young in their twenties. They were doing the best they could. It was very painful. And so one of the ways that they tried to cope was to leave the city and to move outside of the city away from the pain and the memories and that's when we moved into our new home in billerica massachusetts about 17 miles northwest of austin so the first day when we moved in we went out into the backyard as a family and there was a a small grove of of crab apple trees in the backyard and i remember as a kid being fascinated i have apple trees in the backyard whoa this is so cool and so as I, that, those memories flooded my mind. And minutes later, I arrived at the top of Peter's Hill in the Arnold Arboretum back to, to 2017. And as I stood there, I saw like a small podium with a placard and I started to read it. And it said, as you look down the slope of Peter's Hill, you'll see that there's an orchard of crabapple trees. And I was like, whoa. And this was my had this was my first time to the top of that hill, so I didn't know that this orchard was there. And the placard said that this orchard was planted here in the 1940s and 50s by colonial farmers, and it, and it spoke about the history of this orchard. And I stood there just looking at this beautiful orchard, and I walked along down near the crabapple trees, and again was flooded with memories. And that's what started me writing this story about my childhood and grow, moving into that home 
and living in with a family that was trying to overcome this grief, this sorrow, this horrible, painful event. Well, one did, what ended up happening for me, let's go back to when I was a young boy there, was I was a different boy. I was a very creative boy. I wasn't your normal, usual little boy. I, I, I was just a very sensitive boy. And I loved to be creative. I loved creating things and, and using my hands. By the age of 15, my mother had come to know, had come to establish a relationship with God through Jesus. She had this deep, intimate relationship with God, had this power encounter with God where she had been an alcoholic, stopped drinking, stopped smoking on the same day, powerful encounter with God. And then I watched her for two years and her life dramatically changed. And then at the age of, of uh, 14, I gave my life to Jesus. But at the age of 15, my mother asked me a question that forever changed our family. And it was another like crisis point. She said to me, because she sensed some things that were going on, she said, Tom, are you gay? Are you a homosexual? And I paused for a moment. I was 15. And I said, yeah, I think I am. If that means I like men. And she said, oh, no. You know what God thinks about that. We need to get you some help. And so that started a, a 25 year journey of my family trying to help me and me trying to help myself and us uh, looking for every resource we could find to change me. But I had uh, just a year prior to that established a relationship with God through Jesus, a deep and meaningful one that I've had ever since. So there I was on this path of growing to, to love my creator, falling in love with God, in love with Jesus, but had this inner conflict. And that lasted, that inner conflict lasted and continues. It's still there, that integration of faith and sexuality. Right from the start, my family said the two just cannot mix. They can't. They're incompatible. There's two things. You must change is number one. And number two, God will change you if you have enough faith. And so I tried for 25 years to do what they, they said. I went to every ex-gay ministry that, I, that was there as an adult. I went to therapy, ex-gay therapy for years. I spent thousands of dollars. I traveled from coast to coast. If there was a conference related to changing your sexuality, I was there. I spent, I dropped a lot of money and fly out and I'd go. I had people pray over me and prophesy over me. And I tried for 25 years. And at the end of 25 years, I still didn't change. My sexuality didn't change. My desires were still there. So this story, this book is really about what it was like growing up in a conservative, evangelical, legalistic family that said, this is what it means to, to be a child of God. And you saying that you're attracted to men is not compatible with that. So you must change, and that part of you must die. So the story is about, uh, it, part of it is based on reality. It's about a little boy who has a crab apple tree in his backyard, and he loves this tree. He falls in love with it. But some people in the neighborhood come and say to his, to his parents, that tree in your backyard, that's not a real apple tree. That's a crab apple tree. You need to cut that tree down and replace it with a real apple tree. You don't want those apples. They're not real. And so the mom and the dad believe them and they tell the little boy, 
sorry, son, we, we got to get rid of our tree. It's not a real apple tree. We got to replace it with a real one. And, and the vexing voices is what I call them in the story from the neighborhood come with saws and axes and the mom and dad and even the little boy go out in the yard where they give him a little ax and they cut down the tree. They, they hack away at the tree and they cut it down. And the boy is just devastated. But in the spring, the tree miraculously reappears. And this happens every year and it happens for 25 years. The tree comes back, but the vexing voices come back and say, we see that the tree is back. You need to cut it down again. And they come back again and they say, we need to rip it out by the roots and burn it. This tree cannot be allowed to stay in your yard. They're called, I call them the vexing voices. They're the antagonists in the story. And so at the end of the story, the, the little boy is no longer a little boy. He's become a man. And just before the annual killing of his tree, he goes out in front of it. And with tears in his eyes, he looks at it and he says, I love you, crab apple tree. You give me real apples. I'm not going to cut you down. And, and when they come to, to cut down the tree, he stands uh, between them and the tree. And he says, this is my tree. It's a real apple tree. Uh, it gives me real apples. Leave my tree alone. And they drop their tools and they leave. And at the end of the story, it says that the little boy is learning to love his crabapple tree more and more because he's learning not to listen to the vexing voices. He's learning to listen to the creator of the crabapple tree who tells him every day, I made this crabapple tree. I gave this crabapple tree to you. It gives you real apple, son. An apple is an apple. And the lesson is learn to hear the greatest voice in the story. It was marketed for children. It's become wildly popular with adults. The story is really nothing about sexuality. It's just that the author has struggled to integrate his faith with his sexuality. But the story by itself is about marginalization, being different, what it's like to be told who you are is not acceptable. And I'm about to relaunch the book in the next month or two and position it a little bit more to adults. And instead of offering free coloring pages, I'm going to offer discussion guides for deep personal reflection or group reflection. So that's my book, The Crabapple Tree. Yeah, that, that's great. The best children's books are the ones that speak to adults, too. As a homeschool mom, I've read a ton of books to my kids. And if it's one that I can read over and over, then then I know that's a good book. And I did. I enjoyed reading your book. Just as you mentioned, it. everyone can apply it to their own situation. We all have vexing voices on different things. And so you've left it open for people, for it to speak to people where they're at. Reminds me of when Paul in scripture talks about the thorn in his flesh and he never really identified what it was. And there's lots of speculation about what could have been this or could have been that. But we can all take that as I may not have the situation Paul has, or I may not have the situation Tom has, but I have my situation that's my thorn or my thing too. And I love your metaphor of the tree coming back because that just speaks to me of resilience, which is what this whole podcast is about, of that refusal to give up. We, we had a tree that the, like the day before we moved into our house was knocked over in a thunderstorm and just like completely leveled, but it was a willow. I think they're pretty fast growing. It, it came back the next year. Sprouts come up around the trunk and within, by the time we left, it was huge. And then we've, we've since moved on, but we've rented out that house and we recently have somebody come in and cut down the tree because the, the neighbors were complaining about it being too big. <laughs> <laughs> so it's interesting. But even though we have different paths, different journeys on our life, there's so much of your story that I can relate to 
first talking about your brother, I relate to that from the parents' perspective. I, I like how you said they were doing the best they could. Because I know for me, when I was going through my own grief, it was really hard of how do I help my children through this when I'm not functioning very well. And I, I went through a period of depression and of anxiety, and I had the similar thing of I shouldn't be a Christian and be depressed. Like those two don't go together. And I prayed every day that God would relieve me of it, that he would heal me, that he would take it away. And every morning I woke up and I was the same me. Two very different things, but I, I can relate to, to those aspects in some way. And that's what I love about this podcast is hearing different people's stories and, and things like that. What kind of reactions have you gotten to the book? Really good reactions. I get a fair amount of parents who, who will reach out to me and say, wow, I was reading this story to my kids, and, but it resonated so much with me. And in the middle of it, I, I teared up and my kids are like, what's wrong? <laughs> um, some parents have said. And, and uh, so some to some really younger kids, they the tree is just a magical tree that comes yeah. back. And so they don't necessarily get the message. And uh, I've had a few parents push back a little bit at me and say, this book really isn't for younger kids. It, it, it goes a little bit deeper. And, and I said, yeah, well, read it to them. And if they even see it as a magical thing, then go back to them a little bit later on when they're older and say, can we read this book again? And, and let me see what you think about it now. But educators, I'm involved. I work for a nonprofit and I'm involved with principals and, and school social workers and a lot of teachers. And I get a lot of great feedback from educators who say, wow, I, I've used this in my classroom to talk about differences in others, whether it's disabilities or ethnic and skin color and, mm -hmm. and how sometimes children can end up pointing out the differences in others. And, and uh, this book is a way of just... Uh, initiating discussion about how we can embrace and love the differences mm -hmm. in each other. Mm -hmm. And how that doesn't have to be a dividing point or yes. something that keeps us separated from each other, but that we can work together through that. I, I loved your last guest, Connie mm -hmm. Baker, and talking about overcoming stress. And there was one thing she said that was quite profound. You were actually talking about, it was so cool that she was like the creator of yeah. the the face is pain. When you when I realized that, I was like, oh my goodness, I have seen that the face is pain scale that you see in every doctor's wall. When I'm sitting there waiting for the doctor to come in, I'll look on the wall and there it is. And every time I see it now, I will think of your podcast, which is, which is yeah. a testament to, to uh -huh. what you're doing and how you know God uses these things. Every time I mm -hmm. see that, I'm going to remember that this talk about overcoming stress. But anyway, okay. she said you were talking about that and you said something profound where you said sometimes when people will say to you how you doing and you'll mm -hmm. say oh I'm fine when you're really not fine when you're experiencing mm -hmm. some kind of pain and and Connie said the body knows mm -hmm. when she said okay. something like when you're not authentic mm -hmm. you can have health problems that can lead to health problems and, and that just popped out at me of course because yeah. the subtitle of my book is live an authentic right. life Mm -hmm. And what ended up happening to me as a result of my trying desperately to conform to what my parents wanted and what my church wanted and what I, I believed, everything that I was told, number one, you must change. Number two, God will change you. I believed those things, but they weren't happening. So in the midst of all that pain, I was not authentic. Mm -hmm. I was trying to kill that part of myself. Mm -hmm. okay. And it, it literally, it led to, to scars that I, I have scars on my physical body because uh, this led to a problem with addiction. 
the inner conflict in me led to an, a dependency in alcohol. First, it started with prescription drugs that I needed, but long after I didn't need them, I demanded them. And then I cut them with my willpower, but then I started drinking alcohol just a few months later. And for about 10 years, I had a severe problem with alcohol, multiple blackout falls, multiple falls. I have literally Elizabeth scars all over my body, some of them visible, some of them, I, it would be scandalous if I were to show you where they are. Mm -hmm. But there are some on my forehead, I got one over my eye right here. I've got plates in my ribs and I fell face first down 12 stairs once and broke my nose and almost ripped my ear off. I've got scars here. So I've got these physical scars, but I've got scars on my soul too. And so that really resonated with me that when you're not authentic and when you're trying to deny or kill a part of yourself, your body knows and your body mm -hmm. responds and ends with scars. But I want to just wrap up that little part by saying there's, I don't know if you're familiar with the, the Christian, the worship band, I am they, but they are incredible. And they have a song called Scars mm -hmm. that says, I'm thankful for the scars. Without them, I wouldn't know your heart forever. Let me just see if I can get the lyrics to come up here. And I know they'll always tell of who you are. So mm -hmm. forever, I'm thankful for the scars. Mm -hmm. And those scars that I have, I've, I've for years been like, oh, so ashamed. But now I'm trying, to, I'm identifying more with the suffering of Jesus and that I've had to suffer. And yeah, I think scars can be really powerful stories. When you think about after Jesus was resurrected, that's how he proved the power of what God had done through him yeah. was by showing people his scars. And I think you're right. Our tendency is to want to cover those up or hide them in shame. And that's along the lines of what I am trying to do is to share my scars or my stories with people to try to inspire people in their, in the midst of their traumas or trials. But I, going back to the idea of authenticity, that's something I'm really trying deliberately to work on. It does not come naturally to me at all. I think some people are more just out there with who they are than others. And I just tend to be a a private person. I was a very shy child. I don't like to put things out there, which is ironic because God's called me to be an author and a speaker and a podcaster. <laughs> so it's a little uncomfortable for me. But even just with people in my actual real life, I'm not always forthcoming with how I actually feel. I'm the one that kind of goes, yeah, I'm fine. And, and I move on. And so I'm trying to really be better about that. But when I was going through a struggle for me, it wasn't my, I guess my metaphor would be not so much like chopping down my tree, but I was trying to bury it. I was just trying to keep what I was feeling hidden because I didn't want, I thought, oh, I'm a terrible Christian. Christians are supposed to be joyful and peaceful and trust in God. And I'm depressed and anxious. And I'm not really sure that God is really for me because it feels like he's against me right now. Yeah, I appreciate the encouragement on that. I think you're absolutely right that we do carry those things around. And But, but God, <laughs> but God yeah. can use those things that we carry around. To, to bring hope and healing to each other. And so I think that's great. I love the the subtitle of your book. Interestingly, I say, and we have, I can relate to parts of your story, even though we're very differently. So you said that when you were growing up, you weren't the typical little boy. I wasn't the typical little girl either. I was really a tomboy and I loved, you know, I, my parents bought me Barbie dolls and Tonka trucks. I played with all of it. And then I, of course, I went to a military academy for college. So there's only 10% female. So I was, I took on some 
male characteristics then too. So anyway, I just, I think that's interesting. Sometimes we try to compartmentalize things too much when, what does it, I, I, I don't feel like I have any scars from that part of my life necessarily, but, mm-hmm. but I, I do remember I was like, goodness, I think I was five or so and I would struggle at night because it was bedtime of what pajamas to wear because my grandmother had given me these super frilly lacy what what in my mind was like this is what a girl should want to wear and i hated it it was itchy and i I don't want to tell my grandmother that because it would hurt her feelings i just wanted to sleep in a t-shirt and for whatever reason in my mind that was a boy thing to do i don't think that's true but that's in my little five-year-old brain that's what i came up with on my own so i have the struggle of should i do what a little girl should want or should I do what I feel comfortable doing? And sometimes I pick one and sometimes I pick another. And now as an adult, I look back on that and go, oh, I was making too big a deal out of nothing. At the time, even as a little kid, it was a thing. It was, you know, a source of a little bit of stress to me. And it wasn't any vexing voices. It was just me. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but so anyway. That's beautiful. And, and you just reminded me, I just had a, a flashback memory. My grandmother. So she... I think was aware of the fact that I was different. And I think she picked up on it even when I was very young, younger than my, maybe my mother did. And so I, I just always sensed disapproval from her. And there was one year when she bought me a football, like this football board game, because little boys are supposed to love football. Mm-hmm. But she bought my two sisters, the one of those loop weaving mm-hmm. things yeah. where you make potholders. And I remember that Christmas opening the box of the football game and looking at it like, oh, and just putting it down and going over to my sisters and saying, can I try one? And mm-hmm. and remembering the disapproval, the look of my grandmother just looking at me with, with disapproval mm-hmm. because I didn't care about the football game. I wanted to make something with my hands. It wasn't mm-hmm. that I was, it wasn't like necessarily a, a, a thing about femininity or masculinity. It, yeah. it was more her perception of what those should be. I just right. wanted to make something with my hands. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's beautiful. That, that, yeah. 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 And as children, we can be so sensitive to pick up on those subtleties of disapproval. I Later, like in elementary school, I had a thing at school where there was a boy who had brought in a dead tarantula <laughs> mm. and he was showing it to the girls and they go, ah! and they'd run away and he was just getting a kick out of that. And he did that to me and I went, oh, cool. Let me see that. <laughs> and like the look of horror on his face was just like, <laughs> you didn't react how you're supposed to react. And I, mm-hmm. I'm just a kid. Again, looking back as an adult, I'm like, okay, there's no big deal. I'd be like, yeah, whatever, dude. I want to see it. Let me. But at the time I was like, oh, I didn't react in an appropriate way. And so I got that feeling of disapproval of, oh, I'm not supposed to be interested in cool tarantulas. That, you know, <laughs> I need to kind of tone that down a bit. Right. But yeah, it's interesting. Okay, so I'm thinking from a parent's perspective, how can we encourage our children to live authentically, to say, to go beyond the, yeah, I'm fine and press on? How can we encourage that idea of being true to their experience? I think that I want to start by saying I love the name of your podcast, and I have thought about it quite a bit. I actually went on, I went to Wikipedia and looked for the, tell me what a life hack is, and Wikipedia (laughs) gave me their little description, and not that I didn't think I knew, but I wanted Uh to see what the definition was. And I don't know if you're familiar, but there's lots of websites that say the 16 top 
most <laughs> life hacks of all time. And I was looking at some of them yesterday. I don't know if you're aware of some of them. There's some really cool ones. Number one in one website was frozen grapes to chill your wine or make ice cubes out of wine to chill your <laughs> drink. Uh -huh. Another one was you can cut cinnamon buns perfectly with dental floss. I thought that was a great one. Yeah. Um, another one was you can put on eyeliner using a spoon. These really? are, these are, yeah. I didn't, I didn't, know that was I, didn't I didn't watch the video, <laughs> but I've thought a lot about this, what this means, not, and not because those are trivial, mm -hmm. but yours is, yours is not about trivial things. Yours is about overcoming anything that prevents us from living our best life. And that's what your guests talk about. And that's what my life has been about. Yeah. And I would say, I want to sing a little song for you okay. that I think this is my number one thing that I think that, that I, my prayer for you, Elizabeth, my prayer for everyone listening and watching this was about, it was 29 years ago this winter, I was on a personal retreat in a cabin in the, in the woods of New Hampshire in a little Christian camp called Toa Nippy, which means many waters in native American. Mm -hmm. And surprisingly, the only water on the land of the camp was a little pond, but I was there in the middle of the winter. 29 years ago, just waiting on God in a lot of silence. And God sang this song over me. And this is my ultimate number one life hack that I believe is from God. And, and it's to me, it's to you, it's to everyone. It's And this is it. It's know me, I am all that you are longing for. All that you desire, everything you need and so much more. I am the God who called you. I am the God who rescued you. I am the God who sets your heart on fire. I am the God who walks with you. I am the God who talks with you. I am your God and this is my desire that you will know me. Know me, know me, I am your God, know me. That's it. If, if we can teach our, Beautiful. If we, can, if we can teach our children to just to know their creator. The more mm -hmm. I get to know, I'm 60, I just turned 60 mm -hmm. this year. The more I get to know my creator, the more I know and believe who I am. Because of yeah. my relationship with my creator. I, I love that. Just pointing it back to God. And I've found too, as I'm trying to, you know, figure out who I am and why I'm here. And, and the more I draw closer to God, the more courage I have to step out and do, start a podcast, for instance, <laughs> as a person who's like a shy introvert and doesn't usually talk to people. But as we get a hold of our identity in Christ, that gives us the courage to do the things that he's called us to do. Yeah. 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 So tell I know that as we were discussing before actually coming on the air, I know that one thing that we've both agreed on that's really on our heart is um, really drawing people, especially particularly Christians together, and that we can look at things differently 
we can disagree on a handful of verses, but we can still love each other with compassion and grace and still walk together in unity despite differences that we may have. And so I'd just like you to speak to that a little bit about what you've learned about being um, in unity with other Christians who maybe don't see things the same way you do. Yeah, it's that's another challenge. It's been another challenge for me because for someone like me, from my perspective, it has felt like I, I have lived in no man's land, the board or the land between to the borders of two countries that are constantly at war. Mm-hmm. And I don't have a home in this one. I don't have a home in this one. I live in those, between those borders where there's fire going on all the time. So sometimes it feels like I don't really have a home. So what I've learned to do is to, to invite Jesus into that place of pain to say, I feel alone here. I feel, but you know, you love everyone on, on, on both sides in both countries. And, yeah. and I feel so torn, and, but you don't, you span all of us, you can create all of us. And so that is really that just trying to invite him into the pain and giving him permission to, to help me and to strengthen me. That has given me the courage to just to be honest, to be transparent, to, and to speak up and to let people know that I deeply want meaningful connection with you both in the body of Christ and maybe in the LGBTQ community and, and to say to my, to my LGBTQ friends, I'm a person of faith. I'm like you, but I also believe in, in God. And can we talk about that? Mm-hmm. Or to go back to my, my Christians who say, how can you, re- how can you say that? How can, you can't say that you're both gay and Christian. I'm sorry. You can't. I say, well, I am just, I invite you to look at the fruit in my life. You've known me for X years. I'm a worship leader. I babysat for your kids. You trust me. Look at the fruit of my life. Jesus said a good tree can't bear bad fruit and a bad tree can't bear good fruit. Mm -hmm. So I invite you to examine my life and look at it. And can we have conversations? And so I think it's being willing to come to the table and and to fellowship and to, to just talk and try not to be argumentative and defensive and try to listen to each other and even if you can't agree or you feel like you don't agree to be able to to make the choice to at the end of the conversation say you know what i still love you i value what we have and and that is important to me and i want to sustain that no matter what Mm -hmm. can we do that to try and end hard conversations in that way and that's what i have done for years and years And I have some of the deepest, most meaningful relationships in my life are believers in the body of Christ who say, Tom, I just don't get it. And I just, I do not agree with the homosexual lifestyle. And I I do not, and I cannot, but I love you. And I want to continue to be friends with you. And those Mm -hmm. are the people that I say, yeah, I love you back. Mm -hmm. I love you back. So let's keep being friends. And I won't try to change you if you try not to change me in the mm-hmm. way that you want me to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what are some ways that, that like a conservative Christian person can ha- develop those meaningful relationships with people in your community without feeling like they're compromising their values or anything, but mm-hmm. just relating in meaningful ways? Yeah. I think just getting to know people is a start. There are plenty of books that you can read. I can recommend one that's called uh, Walking the Bridgeless Canyon by Kathy Baldock. 
where she opens the book, she talks about bridging the gap between the church and the LGBTQ community. But she opens the book by talking about how she was on a hike and she was very conservative, evangelical, and, and her position was absolutely not. Homosexuality is completely incompatible with my faith. And she was on a hike and there was a lesbian that she was ended up befriending on this hike. And they, to this day, are very close friends. And so it just, she opens with a story about how she started by just getting to know someone in the community. And she fell in love with this woman and they're still friends after years and years. So that's where I would recommend starting is just mm -hmm. even give yourself per, permission, give God permission to bring someone across your path. Say, God, I'm open to having a conversation, but I don't know where to start. Please, you know, bring someone across my path that I can at least start a conversation with. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's funny that you should mention that years ago, I had a similar heart's desire of I want to get to know people, but I, my, my friends are primarily church and military, and there's just not a lot from that community in there. And But I prayed and I said, God, bring someone into my life. And the next place we moved, we had a gay couple who were our neighbors. And then the next place we moved after that, same thing. So I got to know them a little better. Unfortunately, being as mobile as we are, I don't get deep friendships with very many people at all, no matter what, because we're, we move every two years. But, but so I would add to what you said to ask God to bring people into your life that you can be friends with and relate to in meaningful ways. And I earlier, like it was early in the summer, I guess, I before this podcast, I actually did another one about racial unity. And that was a... a topic that kept coming up too is just do life together. Just have friends that are different than you and see that we actually have more in common than we have in opposition to one another. That there's so many things that we can agree on. Let's not focus on the parts that we don't necessarily agree on. And just like you said, love each other anyway, right? Yeah. Common mm -hmm. ground. I think, you know, looking for common ground is, is something that takes, it's intentional. I need to be intentional about it. You know, looking for that common ground, looking for uh, mm -hmm. the things that we can agree on and maybe start from there. I love pennies. I've told you that uh, mm -hmm. my next book is, is yeah. going to be about pennies, but this is just in, in as a follow-up to what you just said, I want to encourage people that, that pennies, I find pennies everywhere I go in parking lots, supermarkets, mm -hmm. gas stations, when I'm pumping gas now, I look for them everywhere and I find them. Why? A penny is the smallest denomination in a huge system of currency, right? It's the small, I'm a fundraiser by trade, mm -hmm. uh, by profession for the nonprofit sector. It's the smallest amount of money I can raise for you. When I find a penny, I get excited because, oh, I found a penny and I'm a fundraiser. But pennies also, to me, represent the lowest of the low, the least denominator, right, mm -hmm. in the system. And so when I find one, I say a prayer and I say, God, number one, you reminded me, thank you, that you found me, that you rescued me. I just rescued this penny. It's no longer lost or discarded. Whatever happened to this penny, it was lost or discarded. Someone maybe thought it was worthless and dropped it and threw it away. The other thing that I do is I say, God, maybe there's someone today that's going to cross my path that I can bless, that I can encourage, that I can, and even maybe it's the guy in, in the, at the supermarket putting the carriages away, and I can just walk up to him and say, Thank you for working so hard today. I've done that. And they've been like, well, you're welcome. <laughs> you know, or, or the in the grocery store, the person that bags your groceries, looking them in the eye and saying, thank you for doing such a good job. 
putting my groceries in the back. And so it's twofold. It's thank you, God, that you found me. Now help me to find someone who needs to see you through me today Yeah. in the same way. And uh, mm-hmm. so just a yeah. quick little lesson. I encourage you, look for yeah. pennies. And let I, God. I love that. <laughs> okay. So you mentioned never seeing the the pain scale the same again. I'm never going to look at a penny the same way again. So you, right. we, we've helped each other in that way. I love that. It reminds me of the, the parable of the lost coin. Jesus is yes. the one who goes and looks after the pennies like that. So that's great. I, I have really enjoyed chatting with you and I'd love to chat more, but we're out of time. But with the last few minutes that we have, would you please share with those who are listening how to find you and tell us about your next project? Sure. So I am writing a book. I'm two thirds of the way through. I need to really get on it. It it is, I think it's going to be called Penny's Purpose. And it actually is about this concept that I just described because I I work for the nonprofit sector. I work for a nonprofit in Boston. And a couple of years ago, a principal at a school in Boston in one of the poorer neighborhoods of Boston called me and she said, our school, our little school does not have a playground and we deserve a playground. Can you as a fundraiser come and help us? Mm -hmm. I met with her and at the end of the meeting, I said, I think that through collective efforts, we can raise money. It's going to cost a lot of money, but I think we can do it. And when I walked out of the school, I went around the the corner to look at the the yard, the asphalt slabs where the children were playing. And consequently, they were, these are really young children. They were falling down every day and hurting themselves on the pavement. And it was not a safe place for the kids to play. And when I looked down on the edge of the play yard, there was a penny. So I went right back to the door and I rang the doorbell and the principal came out and I said, I found a penny right in the edge of the slab. I'm a fundraiser. We're on our way. So in less than two years, that penny inspired me so much. It actually is this one right here. That penny inspired me to, it it caused a movement, a collective impact movement that raised a half a million dollars. And that school now has a brand new playground that they broke ground just before COVID hit. So the kids haven't really had a chance to use it very much. Yeah. But it's an example of how collective impact works. And this book is going to be about the story of me finding that penny and helping this school find a playground. So that's coming out in the spring. You can find me on tomotool.net and you can reach out to me if you'd like to. Yeah, that's awesome. I love how you take simple things like trees and pennies and and create a memorable story around that. What Jesus did with his parables too. But I, I just want to thank you so much, Tom, for coming on today. Thank you for reaching out to me. I admire your courage and like we've been discussing authenticity and just willingness to be honest, willing to be that bridge builder, willing to help me think through some things and, and hopefully others as well. And I, it's just been my prayer for a long time. And it just keeps building the more I read the news of we just really need to come together in unity and especially as Christians, but we just can't let things divide us anymore. It's just not acceptable. And I don't think that's God's desire for us. I don't think that's his heart for his children. So thank you for reaching out and for agreeing to do this with me. I've really enjoyed talking to you. I'd love to talk more, (laughs) but maybe we can have you back on when your second book comes out. Thank you so much, Elizabeth. I really appreciate it. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, thank you. You have been listening to Resilient Life Hacks with host Elizabeth Myers. 
If you like the show and want to know more, check out elizabethmyers.me forward slash RLH podcast. If you're interested in being a guest on a future episode, just fill out the form on that webpage so we can connect. Your honest review on iTunes is a tremendous help to sharing this message of hope with more hurting souls. Don't forget to join us next week when we talk about more hacks for a resilient life. Until next time, stand strong, hold on to hope, and love others like Jesus does. Thank you.